Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer, like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. a different tomorrow with Norwegian Cruise Line. Book today and get 50% off your cruise to Alaska, Europe, and beyond. Plus, everyone can enjoy their vacation with free unlimited open bar, free specialty dining, and more. Visit ncl.com, call your travel advisor, or 1-888-NCL-CRUISE. Offer ends soon. Norwegian Cruise Line. Ships registry the Bahamas and USA. Restrictions apply. The rest of my life gonna start today. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Welcome to Haunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past for the events that still haunt us today. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, the stories were history and the people who lived it and the paranormal meet. Now who doesn't love a good ghost story, right? Welcome back to Haunting History Podcast. I'm your host, Kat. And I'm Haley. And we have some exciting changes coming up. You may start hearing a few ads here and there. Um, that part might not sound really exciting to you, but we are presented with an opportunity that we really can't pass up. And ultimately, this is going to help us create better content for all of you. And as podcast listeners ourselves, we know ads can sometimes get kind of annoying when you just want to hear the content. So we're going to try our best not to do that to you all. But this is a way for you guys, our listeners, to support us by listening to the ads and taking advantage of any of the deals that we might have. Don't hate us for selling out. We didn't sell out. <laughs> we just need help. We need help. We we work really hard on the podcast and we spend a ton of money. And this is going to make a big difference to us. So we're hoping to have your support during the changes over the next couple episodes and that you like them and that you listen to them. And that's it. That's I it. It's gonna be Please, exciting. thank you. Sorry. Um, before we get started on the story of the Hotel Del Coronado, we do have some shout outs. We do. We have Sarah Clark from Columbia, Tennessee. Let us know what you think of the Bell Witch Cave when you go. Amy from Boston, Massachusetts. Monica Luna from Lake Elsinore. Amanda Seabaugh from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Yo, Amanda. Eric Zentina from Houston, Texas. Raina from Tennessee. April from Peoria, Arizona. Amanda McNabb from Prescott, Arizona. Karina from Pomona, California. Samantha Stoles from Lodi, California, and Shiloh from Virginia. We have Kelly from Epling, California. Kathy from San Dimas, California, who added San Dimas High School football rules. Go Saints. Go Saints. You love football lover, so. Jacqueline from Brentwood, California. That's fancy. That's super fancy. Tara from Knoxville, Tennessee. Katie from Olmstead Falls, Ohio. I know we said hi to her last week. Yeah, yeah I think so. 
um, Elsa and Ruger from San Antonio, Texas. I want to know if his name is really Ruger. Who's Ruger? Is that your significant other? Ruger. Cool name. Uh, Grant James from Columbia, Illinois. Shannon from Fargo, North Dakota. Super cold there. Shannon from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Allison from Lakewood, California. Pamela from Fontana, California. Also right down the street. And Zach Walzak from Zach Walzak. Is it really, is that really your name? Tell me if I pronounce that right. Zach Walzak from Perry, New York. And Daniel from Chattanooga, Tennessee, which he added was home of green eyes in the haunted Reed house. We got to check both those out. Interesting. The Hotel Del Coronado opened in February of 1888. It's hosted famous people from Marilyn Monroe and Tony Curtis, Jack Lemon, Frank Sinatra, Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn, Burt Lancaster, Ronald Reagan, and even Charlie Chaplin. Also, the Prince of Monaco stayed there. And more recently, Ellen DeGeneres, Jack Nicholson, and Oprah Winfrey. It had all the amenities of its time, including electricity. The Hotel Dell, or just the Dell, as it was soon to be nicknamed, was truly a destination vacation for the wealthy of the time. The seaside setting and beautiful San Diego, California weather made it the place to vacation. Coronado Island's like setting and perfect year-round weather ensured the Dell's reputation as a standout resort. It was described, and I quote, the unrivaled queen of seaside resorts. This enchanting spot has no equal in America or the world. Have you been to the Hotel Dell? No, I've never been. I want to go this Christmas, actually. They have a beautiful Christmas display, and I think that would be amazing to see. Yeah. The Dell was advanced for its day. It was lighted by electricity. At that time, the hotel was one of the largest buildings in the country to have electric lights. It had telephones, which were not the norm for hotels, and there were elevators, and many of the rooms had private bathrooms, which also wasn't the norm. There was a fire alarm system and a state-of-the-art firefighting equipment. The hotel had fine china and linen from Europe, and all the furniture came from the east. The idea of the Dell came from two businessmen, Elijah Spur, Babcock Jr., and Hampton Story. Those are great names. They had become friends and business associates after they had moved to San Diego. In 1885, they had purchased the entire undeveloped peninsula with Jacob Grundyke, Herbert Engel, and Joseph Collette, and sold off lots which recouped their cost of the purchase plus some. Babcock and Story created the Coronado Beach Company and decided together to build a resort that would be the talk of the Western world. The men hired architect James W. Reed and his younger brother Merritt Reed to design the new resorts. Their brother Walton Reed oversaw the 2,000 workers building the hotel. The two architects actually lived in a different in Indiana, I believe. And then their brother came out and helped oversee the whole building of the hotel. Elijah Babcock envisioned the hotel, and I quote, It would be built around a court, a garden of tropical trees, shrubs, and flowers. From the south end, the foyer should open to the bay with verandas for rest and promenade. On the ocean corner, there should be a pavilion tower, and northward along the ocean, a colonnade, terraced in grass to the beach. The dining wing should project at an angle from the southeast corner of the court and be almost detached to give full value of the view of the ocean, bay, and city. I think it's so amazing that people can look at a lot of land and like plan it out like that. Yeah, I couldn't. I can with a room, but like that's it. I can't. I wouldn't be able to envision all of that. Yeah. Most people travel to the hotel via train. Now, this is my favorite part. Being that Metro California was unsettled at the time, a trip from the east would take seven days. Most wealthy travelers would take their privately owned train cars for the trip. And then upon arrival, the cars would be unhitched 
embarked on the hotel spur track for the duration of their stay and then rehitched to the train engine for the journey back. Could you imagine? That must have been just a lovely way to travel. Yeah. Like in your own private car. Do you know they still do that? No. I just looked it up the other day that you can still buy old, old like, private train car cars and hook them up to, like, Amtrak or Metrolink or whatever and travel across the country. I would do that in a heartbeat, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, for sure. Do you know how much the train cars cost, though? Probably a lot. Upwards of a half a million dollars. Yeah. Depending on how luxurious they are. But I just think that would be such an amazing... But, like, now you would have to leave, I guess, your train car at, like, certain stations and then get a car there because, like, they don't... It's not like back then the hotel actually had a spur track where they would drop them off. Yeah. That's crazy. You would, of course, choose to do that because you hate flying. I hate flying. When the 300... I don't hate flying. Oh, my God. Here we go. I hate... I hate the height of flying. If they could fly at a thousand feet, I'd be fine. Okay, but they can't. So you hate flying. No, I, I hate looking down and seeing like little patches that is the earth. That's why I can't handle. I You're can't. not in outer space. No, but you like, can't it's see not like, that big a deal. You can't see like the people walking around. If I can't see people, I'm not too high. I don't like, I don't like it. All right. When the 399 room hotel opened for business in February of 1888, it actually opened in sections because the entire hotel was not finished yet. They said that over 1,400 San Diego residents traveled across the bay to see it. Reports of the new hotel had been wired across the country, but just as the hotel was nearing the completion, the Southern California land boom collapsed. Babcock and Story needed more money at the time when people were deserting San Diego. They turned to a Captain Charles T. Hind and John D. Spreckles, who was a sugar magnet, and they lent him them the money to finish the hotel. The Coronado Beach Company was then capitalized with $3 million. By 1890, John D. Spreckles bought out both Babcock and Story, and the Spreckles family retained ownership of the hotel until 1948. There's a whole backstory to that, and I can't really get into it in just a podcast. But if you're interested in the Hotel Dell, I'm going to have links on our episode show page that show where I got that information, and it has a, a way more information than that. In a Forbes article I found, writer Jordan Lippy McGraw Sorry, Jordy Lippy McGraw interviewed the Hotel Del Coronado historian Gina Patron, who said that she had spent time with the former historian going over the archives and learning the history before taking over the role. One of the things that the article says is that she learned was that, and I quote, when the hotel first opened, it had what was called the American plan, which meant all of your meals were included. Room rates were started at $2 or two fifty per day. Can you imagine? And you had to be wealthy to do it. Yeah. For $2 and $2.50. That's not even a and it gallon included, of gas. Yeah, it included all, in some states it probably is. Would have no idea. Not here. Not lucky enough to know. At least double that here. I paid for like 60 something the other day. I, I just saw the sign on the corner was four seventy nine. Yeah. It's insane. The, also, the resort also had a separate dining room and a separate entrance for single women. And then a little trivia. The first elevator, elevator ride in the hotel was, they just had women on it. And it was the first elevator built by the Otis Elevator Company. Have you seen that name a million times? I haven't noticed it. Actually. Every elevator you get in says Otis Elevator Company. I don't usually look at the creators of my elevator. I, well, I like the history of stuff, so I always look. But I kind of want to do, a, I, mean, I wonder if there's an interesting story to the Otis Elevator Company. The hotel was also home to the first outdoor electric Christmas tree um, in 19, 1904. And it's home of two original prints of... It's called, I Dreamed I Was a Doorman at the Dell that Dr. Seuss painted. Cute. No, I haven't seen it. 
In addition to the famous who had visited the Hotel Dell, there are many stories that contribute to its legendary history. Frank Baum, the author of The Wizard of Oz, spent many months at the hotel writing and reading to children. He's the one who designed the chandeliers hanging in the crown room. It's based. He based them on the crown worn by the lion in the Oz. Is that cool? Mm-hmm. I want to see those. The first reported paranormal occur- occurrences can't be traced. But in 1960, memo, which the historian that I mentioned earlier found, said that hotel employees were warned not to discuss or respond to guest inquiries about the hotel being haunted. So way back in the 1960s. Guests are still intrigued by stories of apparitions and strange occurrences. On the third floor, the gift shop is really active. It's called Established 1888 is the name of the gift store. And other locations in the hotel, including the room of their most famous entity, Kate Morgan's room. Employees and visitors have told of unusual footsteps, noises, temperature changes, and even sightings. The gift shop has seen much of the activity with items flying off shelves and books rearranged. Kate Morgan, I just mentioned as the most famous ghost of the Hotel Dell, may not even be named Kate Morgan. Her aliases, of which there were many, Katie Logan, Lottie A. Bernard, which is a name she checked in with. She went by Lottie, Louisiana, and Louisa Anderson, and Kate Farmer, which is possibly her maiden name. And I'm going to read you an article from the San Diego Union dated November 30th, 1892. The title is By Her Own Hand. A young woman suffering from incurable disease suicides. She wanders out into the storm to die. Desperate act of a guest of the Hotel del Coronado, a revolver, the chosen weapon. Night before last, an attractive, pre-proposing, and highly educated young woman came down from her room at the Hotel del Coronado, and between nine and ten o'clock stepped out upon the veranda facing the ocean, which was roaring at her feet, lashed by the tempest that is sweeping over the whole coast. The lady was quietly and elegantly dressed in black and wore only a lace shawl over her head. Nothing more was seen of her until 8.20 yesterday morning when the assistant electrician of the hotel, passing by the shell walk at the end of the western terrace, saw the lady lying on the steps leading to the beach. She was dead. An American bulldog revolver was lying within two inches of her outstretched hand. A ragged wound showed on the right temple, but the rain had washed away all the stains of blood. Her body was soaking wet, stiff, and cold. Deputy Coroner Stetson was notified, and he had the body removed to Johnson and Company's undertaking rooms in the city before many of the guests in the hotel were stirring. The young woman had come to the hotel on Thanksgiving Day and registered as Mrs. Lottie A. Bernard of Detroit. And I have a picture of the registry, and I'll put it on our episode show page. She she was reserved and ladylike. Her clothing was fine, but she had no baggage except a small handbag. The article continues. She kept to her room most of the time and was visited often by the housekeeper, who learned that she was afflicted with cancer of the stomach. She said she was only 24 years old and spoke often of her physical condition and was noticeably despondent, sometimes seeming to verge on melancholy, as when, on one occasion, she told the housekeeper that she was also troubled with heart disease and despaired of recovering her health. There are signs pointing to an attempt on her part to commit suicide on Monday afternoon by means of drowning in her bath. She told the housekeeper that she had proposed to take a warm bath for two hours or more and said it would help her. The matron saying it would weaken her, but the lady persisted and the bath was repaired. At the end of an hour, however, she appeared and sent for a bellboy to rub her head, which the article says rub her head. I read somewhere else that he she called him to dry her hair. 
It was then noticed that her hair was drenched to the roots, an unusual incident, and that her manner was nervous and unstrung. Undoubtedly, the lamentable suicide was a despairing act of one suffering from an incurable disease and perhaps induced from depression of spirits caused by utter loneliness. It is understood that she was expecting a brother to arrive at the hotel, and she anxiously awaited his coming. Monday morning, she inquired of a bellboy if he had arrived, and receiving the usual discouraging answer, she said, Oh, no one comes to see me anymore. She then nerved herself to the final act, burning all her letters and papers, except for an envelope addressed to Miss Lottie Anderson Bernard, and on which she casually scribbled, as if in reverie, her own name, Coronado Lillian Russell, and I don't know any such man. The dreary day perhaps added to her despondency, and at night she went out into the heart of the storm within 15 feet of the ocean's edge and took her own life. In her purse was found something over $20, and she seemed in no stress for money, having telegraphed to a Mr. Allen in Hamburg, Iowa, and received his answer that she could draw on him for $50 on a site. Her bill at Coronado was not presented, as she had not been there a week. A telegram was sent to Mr. Allen to notify her relatives there and in Detroit, and the authorities will await their instructions as to the disposal of the remains. Deputy Coroner Stetson, also wired Coroner Keller at Escondido and receiving no response, will impanel a jury this morning and hold an inquest. From the website San Diego Ghost Tech, it is written, on November 23rd, 1892, Katie Logan lists all of the deaths associated with the Hotel Dell. From the website, I, I, could, I literally couldn't write it any better than he did. From the website, San Diego Ghost Tech, it is written, on November 23rd, 1892, Katie Logan, a domestic servant for the Grant family of nine, number 917 South Hill Street in Los Angeles, left for San Diego to get some papers signed. She left in good spirits and promised her employer that she would return in time to cook Thanksgiving dinner. When she failed to return, as promised, contractor L.A. Grant contacted the police to report her missing. He considered Miss Logan the best servant in his house. It was reported that she had an excellent reputation in the city and attended strictly to her duties and never went out at night. Miss Logan did not talk to the other servants about her past life to any great extent. Sadly, the horrible truth regarding the whereabouts of Miss Logan became known on December 8th when the police opened the personal trunk left behind at the Grant residence. The contents revealed a woman who strongly desired to keep her true identity a secret. Various photographs, including one of Miss Logan, and papers were destroyed in such a way to remove any identifying names, dates, and addresses. However, detectives did find one un undamaged item. In 1885, Hamburg, Iowa marriage certificate between Thomas E. Morgan and K.E. Farmer. Based on the contents of the trunk and Mr. Grant's knowledge of the missing woman, which I want to make a side note, it was later said that Mr. Grant actually never saw the body of the woman found at the Hotel Dell. It says that um, they speculate that the body of the woman found at the Hotel Dell and the maid of the Grants may have not or may have not been the same person because of the fact that Mr. Grant never saw it. But the article continues and says it was quickly determined that Miss Katie Logan fit the description of the mysterious suicide that had just occurred at the Hotel Dell. The Los Angeles Chief of Police notified San Diego's Chief of Police of the connection. The website goes on to say, on Thanksgiving Day, 1892, Kate Morgan checked into the Hotel Del Coronado under the alias Lottie A. Bernard from Detroit. She was traveling alone without any luggage and quickly drew the attention of the hotel workers. A description of Kate's odd behavior is contained within the coroner's report inquest testimony of T.J. Fisher, a real estate agent 
whose place of business was in the hotel drugstore. Now, this is from the coroner's report. The T.J. Fisher was part of the inquest. He said he saw the lady first about last Saturday when she came into the drugstore and walked up and down the floor two or three times. She seemed to be suffering. She asked me if I could get her something to relieve her suffering, and I referred to her to Mr. Fosdick, the manager of the store. Mr. Fosdick advised her to see a physician. She said that her brother was a physician and that she expected him here. And that was the last I saw of her until Monday. On Monday afternoon, she came in again and walked up and down the floor and looked as if she was still suffering. I said, it seems too bad for you to go over into town and you suffering from neuralgia in the stormy weather. She said, I am compelled to go. I forgot my checks and I have to go over and identify my trunks personally. She went out and that was the last I saw of her until I saw her dead lying on the steps. And then another article the November, on November 29th, 1892, the San Diego Daily Bee was the first newspaper to report her death. The title is Blew Out Her Brains, Suicide of a Beautiful Young Woman at San Diego. Disappointed over not receiving money, after her death, word came that she could draw all she desired. She was well-dressed and had a good sum of money in her purse. Between the thunderous surf on the gray sea and the brilliancy of music of a gay throng in the great parlor and long halls of the Hotel del Coronado, a woman stood alone and desperate. From her position on the stone stairs at the west end of the ocean terrace leading to the beach, the surf wrapped and rewrapped her with its spray and the pitiless rain fell upon her bared head and young white face. Whatever it may have been, fear or courage at the final moment, there is no one to say. All that is known of the stranger is that she arrived with no luggage but a hand satchel on the 24th and gave her name as Miss L. Anderson Bernard of Detroit. She remained in her room, gen her room generally and seemed to suffer intensely. Apparently, throughout Kate's stay, she had made contradicting statements. At her check-in, she had inquired as to whether her brother and his wife had checked in yet. But then in another statement, she said that she had been traveling with her brother and get this, Haley, but that he had disembarked from the train in Orange. Oh, right down the street. Isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. That's my hometown. Yeah. Well, my hometown where I was born was is Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. But I grew up in Orange, and I never knew that the story connected to Orange. Even even having read it as many times as I had, I did not know that sh that Orange came up as often as it did when I was researching this. Now I wonder, what train station you said? Uh -huh. I wonder if it's the one by the circle. It is. It has to be. That's that the, the only one in Orange. Well, that's the historic train station. Oh. Um, it says that she had been. In another statement, she said she'd been traveling with her brother and that he had disembarked the train in Orange and headed back to either Los Angeles or San Francisco for business and was planning to meet her in San Diego at a later date. A passenger on the train contacted the police after the inquiry because he said he didn't want to go on trial, and he said that he had witnessed Kate Morgan arguing with a man on the train and that he had deserted her when he had left the train in Orange, California. Others have surmised that Kate was really a grifter that always traveled by rail, stealing from unsuspecting men on the railways. And yet others speculate that Kate was a married woman who was left by her husband and was despondent over being pregnant, having had an abortion to avoid having a baby as a single woman, and then killed herself out of sadness. Others think that Kate didn't kill herself at all and that her estranged husband had murdered her that night at the Hotel Dell. Another theory is that this brother she speaks of was not really her brother at all or her husband that he was like her partner and like stealing from people on the train. The one that she said was the physician. Yeah. Mm. There's just so many different theories because she went by different names. I mean, look, I at know I, but I feel like back then 
we always read about that, and I don't understand that. It would have been easy. You didn't have driver's licenses I guess, or social security but why? cards. Why? Just because you don't want people to find you? She didn't. She must have had a secret shady life. Who knows? Weird. And I mean, she went to great lengths. Like she would tear names off letters and destroy pictures. Like they found that in her room. If that's even her, right? They connected the Katie Logan to Kate Morgan from Los Angeles, San Diego. I, I. I'm not certain it's her. Yeah. Regardless of how or why Kate came to the Hotel Del Coronado or what she did prior to arriving there, employees and visitors alike agree she never left. Her room, which is which the room number has changed numerous times over the year, I can't even keep up with it, report TVs turning on, lights going on and off, and an indent on the bed as if something unseen is sitting on it. People have reported seeing her walking on the beach and strolling the promenade where her body was found. One hotel employee claims to have talked to Kate Morgan. One night, he witnessed a woman on the beach in Victoria clothing looking over the ocean. He approached her and asked if she needed assistance, to which she responded that she knew her way very well around the hotel. He didn't realize until she walked away that he couldn't hear her footsteps on the wooden walkway. That freaked me out. Another guest, a man named Alan May, became so infatuated with the story of Kate Morgan and spent time in her room. He claims to have even shared champagne with her. He went on to write a book about his experiences and his theory on the story of Kate, even claiming to be so touched by her that he paid for her headstone for her grave that up until that time had been missing for 97 years. She had no marker. That's sad. Until he paid for it. Yeah, but his little wackadoo. He says he dined with her and drank champagne with her. And then he determined that she was his great-great-grandmother through genealogy. I'm all about the ancestry and genealogy. We know that. But exactly how in, I know this is in, I think, the 80s that he did all this stuff, but how did he figure out that she was his great-great-grandmother? Yeah, I don't know. We have no record of her having children. Oh, it was a little wackadoo. There's so much more in the Kate Morgan story. Too much to cover, really, in this one podcast because there's so much story about the hotel and then about her, and there's just so many different theories. But I'm going to link to books written and websites dedicated to the story of her and the Hotel Dell. There are theories that the Victorian clothed woman is not even Kate Morgan at all. The Hotel Del Coronado is a site of some 30 plus deaths over the years, some strange and unsolved and some just strange. In Craig Owen's book, Haunted by History, which I highly recommend, lists all of the deaths associated with the Hotel Del, and I will link on the website. So with like what, 30 deaths, there has to be other stories of hauntings, right? Yeah, there's a story of a child that they see running in the halls there's a Victorian woman that they see dancing in the grand ballroom. There's a lady in white because there's always a lady in white. There is a gentleman who they've actually seen a full body apparition of, but they don't know who he is. There's just, it's seriously so many. So the hotel like embrace their ghosts or are they like, hey, I want to stay in a haunted room. They're like, oh, we don't have that. No, no, no. They're, they're really good about it. You can request to stay in Kate Morgan's room. And any other, I mean, I think there's several rooms that they think are haunted. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they'll they'll accommodate you. They're not. Because like the Queen Mary has like, they take you on haunted tours and stuff. Right. Is it kind of like that? Or yeah, it's no, just... they're really good about it. They're a lot like, uh, I was, there's another hotel that's like that too. Oh, well, they're the opposite of the Mission Inn in Riverside. The Mission Inn oh, yeah, in Riverside. They're like, what they're, are ghosts? We don't have those. Yeah, we they refuse to talk about it. The yeah. Hotel Dell doesn't try and hide their... Their hunting past. I mean, it's pretty difficult. The hotel's been around 130 years, 131 years. 
Yeah, but I mean, people can still be you like. You cannot find stories in history that don't have haunting stories attached to it some way. I know, but people who own hotels can fight it. Pretend like it doesn't People happen. saying right. it to them at their check-in well, desk is like, no, you're insane. We don't have ghosts. Right. And I think that if you went to like the Doubletree Hotel or the Hilton Hotel and asked for the most haunted room, they probably wouldn't be like, oh, okay, well, there's suicide in room 301. Let's put you there. No. Right. The hotel dealt. They're fine with it. They, they let, and there's been a ton, a ton, a shit ton of paranormal investigations there. They're even on YouTube. The Hotel Del Coronado, with all its secrets, is still a prime vacation destination in San Diego, California. It's beautiful, and it's filled with history, some haunting and some not. And the Hotel Del staff is dedicated to not only serving you and your family, it also plays host to its non-living guest, some still checked in for more than 130 years. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. We love hearing from you, so be sure to follow and comment on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Visit our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode and links to our Patreon page and all our social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Kat. I'm Haley. And remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.